This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already, be sure you subscribe or follow Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. It helps us out a ton, and it hardly takes any time. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to remind everybody about Jimmy's Famous Seafood. The reason they wanted to sponsor this podcast is simple. They're owned and operated by Carolina fans. So not only do you get great seafood at a great price, but you're also supporting one of your own. It's a true win-win. For everybody wondering, my go-to order is the famous gift box where you get two massive crab cakes, two kinds of crab soup, and a half pint of crab dip. Visit them online at jimmysfamousseafood.com and at checkout, use the promo code hashtag GDTBATH for free two-day shipping. That's promo code hashtag GDTBATH. All right, back in action finally. Got the band back together. It's game week, so you know what that means. Joining me, as always, it's fellow letterman Mike Ingersoll, EJ Wilson, to talk all things Carolina football as UNC gets ready to take on Virginia Tech this Friday. Guys, first off, it's great to see you. How, how's everybody doing? How, how are summers? Uh, hot. Summer was very, very hot. <laughs> and, and it was very, very, very dangerous out here, apparently. I thought that COVID was over and it's not. But football's back, so at least it feels normal-ish, I guess. I don't know. Mike, Mike how's everything with you? I spent more time sweating today than not sweating, so that's how it is. <laughs> All right, guys, let's, I had, let's to, get... I had to cut my video off so I could move the uh, pack and play behind me. So any parents <laughs> know what I'm talking about. That's 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 how my life's going right now. I got baby toys all around me. I got diapers <laughs> all over the place. My house smells like a poop. Everything's people, great. People love the baby talk, but they come here for the football. So, Mike, <laughs> last year, Virginia Tech, they gave up uh, 656 yards in this matchup to UNC against this UNC offense. Obviously, Carolina, they're replacing Michael Carter. They're replacing Javante Williams, Yami Brown, Daz Newsome, your top four production guys outside of Sam Howell. It's still an offense that should be potent. But if you're this Virginia Tech defense, how would you go about trying to slow down this UNC attack when you do have a Heisman candidate in Sam Howell? Well, I mean, Virginia's... Virginia Tech is going to go into this game believing that their secondary is better than our receivers. So if I'm them, I'm going to, I'm going to lock down our receivers. I'm going to go man, I'm going to go man free the entire game until the receivers show that they can out athlete them and, out, and beat them um, up front. I mean, defensive line wasn't exactly a strength for Virginia Tech last year. And our offensive line is going to be a strength for us this year, presumably given all the starts that are coming back. Um, and we'll get to, you know, Brian Anderson's injury and, and what that means 
you know, for the offensive line. But I don't think it's going to be that detrimental, to be honest. Um, we have a lot of experience coming back. So, I mean, if I'm tech, I'm going to go man free on the backside. And then I might try to just blitz and create pressure on Sam because it's the first game. You're at home. You've got the benefit of that. Um, and I think Virginia Tech's probably going to come in banking on the fact that they've got some home field advantage. And, um, you know, really, if you want to get Carolina this season in 2021, if you want to get the Carolina football team at any point during the season, you want them game one and you'd want them on the road. Um, and, you, and with it being a hostile environment like Lane Stadium, it's going to be sold out. This is kind of a Justin Fuente hot seat situation. Um, if they lose this game, things could go south in a hurry for Virginia Tech. If they win this game, it could potentially propel them for it throughout the rest of the season. And they end up, you know, Fuente ends up keeping his job um, or keeps that staff together, which I'm sure is a goal of theirs. So, um, you know, I think that's that, that's probably how Tech is going to come into this game. But as far as defensive philosophy, I think they're going to try and blitz up front, make Sam uncomfortable, and then run man to man on the backside with the with the secondary and see if those receivers can beat him. And at the point that our receivers beat him, you know, then they'll adjust. But I think that's how they're probably going to open up. Yeah, it's funny that Bud Foster is no longer the defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech, but the principles are still the same where they have faith in their secondary until you show them that they shouldn't have faith in the secondary. And it's just a lot of corners that want to get up in your face, press you, make you beat them one-on-one. And then I think going off another point you made, we saw week one last year, UNC, I think it was Syracuse they opened up with where, you know, Carolina started slow, not the offense that you kind of thought it was by the second half, they started picking it up. So it's one of these things where week one college football, it's, it's really anybody's guess, but EJ, the last time, UNC went to Blacksburg, Carolina fans, they don't have the best memories from that game. They lost that six overtime thriller where we were kind of learning the rules of the new overtime as, as we kind of went along with the two point conversions in the sixth overtime, the biggest difference between that team that went to Blacksburg and this year's team is the depth on the defense, especially along that defensive line where in 2019, Aaron Crawford, he played 83 snaps in that game. Jason Strobridge played 77 snaps as a former defensive lineman. What does that do for a defense when you do have that rotation and you do have an ample amount of bodies that can rotate in and out? Um, it, I mean, it does wonders. I mean, I mean, for the defense as a whole, I mean, that kind of is, it seems like the the narrative kind of leading into my senior year, 2009. I mean, of course, with, with Quentin Copels, Marvin Austin, Robert Quinn, all those guys coming in, uh, me and Cam were kind of the stalwarts on the defense, kind of transitioning from the time of Kentuan Bomber, Holly Taylor, until that time period. So it kind of started off as, okay, we have a few guys here that, that, that we're trusted and we know we can rely upon to to then where we're rotating guys out like me and me and Cope are playing the same amount of snaps uh everybody's rotating in the first defensive line and it kind of changed it allowed us to play to our strengths a lot what the um the coaching staff um is talking about what they want to do with this defensive line they don't want to have to stick with the same guys and have them just go in there and muscle it out drive after drive and snap after snap they have guys whose strength is to go in there and grind it out or whose strength is to come in and, and, and pass rushing situations second and long third and long guys whose strength is to when you know they're going to be on a two-minute drill that they're good all-around players who are well-conditioned who are just grinders so I mean it allows you to, to be in these different situations yeah teams teams are going to try to of course catch us off guard and not a, allow us to substitute in but I do think the guys that we're going to go out there with initially which is looking like uh Kevin Hester uh Ray Bohasic 
and um and Miles Murphy, I'm more than confident those 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 are all three down players. So, uh, but I think that with with being able to get those those guys in and, and keep them fresh, we're going to see a bigger impact. We're not going to see these teams start to pull away in the fourth quarter. We're going to still be strong. All our guys are going to be fresh, and we're going to be we're going to keep hitting them and keep hitting them. And it's just going to, I think with a, a lot of our players being fresh and evolving more in their pass rush abilities, it's going to allow us to be able to, to, to confuse them with, with how we're rushing people, but still allow to have, have the proper amount of people in coverage. And I mean, with, with the way our secondary is looking, the way those guys are just competing for playing time, I mean, I'm confident that we are going to be a little bit more exotic uh, in some of our defensive calls and some of our defensive looks. And that all starts up front with the, with the defense. When you have three guys who are really big bodies that you can put in there that are going to control the line of scrimmage, then that kind of we can use the benefit of, of what our defense looks like now with having speed at every position, it seems like. So, I mean, this is really going to have a ripple effect all throughout the defense. As a player, is it something that you have to adjust to because you you've always had the mindset, I want to play as much as possible, yet you also have to kind of consider like maybe if I do play half the number of snaps, I can be more effective with better effort. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really a maturity thing, too. I mean, for me, of course, when we start getting these four and five star recruits, of course, my ego said be threatened, don't help these guys out. But what benefit is that doing for me? I mean, what is that when when maybe I'm not playing my best? If I mean, another guy can go out there and give us a spark. But I think it's, it's nothing but help. I mean, even guys who are looking to get into the NFL, if you're playing 40 snaps a game as opposed to 60, but those 40 snaps a game, you can grade out 80, 90 percent. Whereas opposed, if you just have more film, but if that film's not better, it's not helping your case any. And that's if you're thinking at that level from from a team perspective, which I think most of these guys that are in the program and the guys that are steadily coming in and being recruited, they're team guys. So they know that if this is the best thing for the team, if this is going to allow me to do what I do best in the part aspect of the game that I enjoy most, it allows the players to be a little bit selfish while still giving to the team. I mean, because we all know that they're guys who love to pass rush and don't really care to play the run and then there's guys like me who are weirdos and love button heads and playing the run and didn't care if coach took us off on third down so I mean that allows guys to really hone in and, and do what they want to do the only thing I worry about is that if things start to get too too specialized and catered the guys aren't going to be as well-rounded as they need to be but knowing this coaching staff knowing coach cross coach Bateman and coach brown that I, I don't think that's that, that's really going to happen that there is going to be a great thing for everybody involved those run stuffers are just built a little different mentally, yeah. I think. Yeah. EJ, yeah, EJ, EJ, do you think you were conditioned in practice all week long to know that you're not going to get any sacks though? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and I was conditioned in practice to know that I wasn't going to get any movement off my first step in the run game. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I was like a defensive tackle playing on it. <laughs> Sticking along the lines, Mike, one player whose status for Friday is in serious jeopardy. You mentioned it earlier, center Brian Anderson. He's been limited at practice as, as of the time of this recording still. Here on Johnson, he's been running with the ones all camp. What have you kind of seen from Q in the games that he's played where you either feel optimistic about him starting or you're a little worried about the prospect of him starting? Well, he under scholarship, so they think he can play. We did the same thing for Lowell Dyer when we played. Um, Lowell was a walk-on, ended up becoming our starting center. We put him on scholarship. We did that because he could play and because he deserved to be on scholarship. So if Mac Brown believed that Q deserved to be on scholarship because he was of the caliber of talent and work ethic and production that warranted a scholarship spot, then 
then I, I have no reason to question Max judgment and everything that I've heard about Q coming out of camp this year is his, uh, you know, Asim Richards and some other players have spoken very highly of how Q is produced throughout camp and how he's played throughout camp. It seems like the guys are very comfortable with him in there if they need him. And he's got starting experience and I, I harp on it all season long because there's going to be injuries. There's going to be guys rotating in and out. Um, the one thing that will always make you better and really the only thing that will truly make you better as an offensive lineman is game reps and Q's got those. So that game experience coming into game one doesn't really give me a lot of pause. I mean, I would prefer to have Brian in there. He is the multi-year starter. He's the rock. He's the guy that's been there, but Q is serviceable. Q played well. He, I believe he started, was it Wake Forest? Wake last Forest. Year? Yeah. Yep. Um, and he played, he played pretty good. I was surprised. I remember I was looking uh, it was about halfway through the first quarter. Maybe it was their second drive, middle of their second drive. And I realized that Brian wasn't, wasn't out there and Q was. I was like, who's number 69? Because he was playing pretty well. I didn't see a lot of drop off. Uh, and that's really all you can ask. As an offensive lineman, you just don't want to get noticed. Because if you're getting noticed, something's going wrong. And I didn't notice him for a drive and a half. Um, when he started against Wake Forest. So uh, I'd say that's a, that's a testament to the way he's prepared uh, last year, the way that he was ready to play last year. And I can only imagine that with the confidence that the scholarship brought, with the confidence that the game reps brought, and with the confidence that, um, you know, the, the, the trust his teammates clearly have in him, his fellow line mates clearly have in him, what that's going to bring. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't concern me for his personal production and his ability if he comes, if he rolls out and he's a starter against Virginia Tech. It's a hostile environment. Um, you know, but again, he's, he's played, he, he can handle it. If they put him out there, it's because they think he can play and he can do the job. Yeah. That game against Wake Forest, Carolina's offense still put up a, a crazy amount of yards, I think over 700 yards um, on the game. So, and according to pro football focus, like when you look at the, how the team grades out, Q grades out just as high as, you know, a guy like Brian Anderson, mm -hmm. even a little higher, even though it is a lot smaller of a sample size. Um, so I think you are right that the team and the staff has a lot of confidence if Q does have to start. But even if Anderson is out on Friday, it's still an offensive line that has a ton of experience, a ton of returning starts. You're led by NFL talent in Josh Azudu, Jordan Tucker. And the, the biggest question mark for this Carolina team is at the running back position and it's at the wide receiver position. If you're Carolina how do you kind of lean on the continuity that you do have along your offensive line and Sam Howell to kind of take some of that pressure off the newer pieces so they don't go in feeling like they have to be the next Diami or Javante Williams? Well, from a coaching perspective, what you want to do is you want to put the offensive line in a position where they're taking most of the pressure and you want to have the read for the running backs and pass protection be the, the simplest the simplest read they could possibly have where they, they, they go one of two ways. Um, you know, typically the way the, the easiest thing to do is to make sure that the running back has the widest rusher, but we can't slide protect the entire game. So really they just want to take as much pressure off those running backs because running backs have route assignments. They've obviously got run game assignments. Um, the thing that will mess with a running backs head the worst is pass protection. It's the one area where, they're essential, that they're critical to the pass protection scheme, but because they have so many other responsibilities, there's just not as much time from a development standpoint and a, you know, in practice that you can devote to pass protection. They go through it. Running back coaches go through it. They go through it in individual drills. They go through it through team drills, obviously. But if I'm a running back, me personally, my focus on knowing is on knowing my route assignments and knowing where I'm supposed to, where I'm supposed to be in the run game and what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, 
So the, they want to take as much pressure off those young running backs as they can in, in pass protection because you don't want them out there thinking too much. They're already going to be a little nervous. They're already going to be thinking. Um, you don't want the wheels spinning that extra turn, you know, that extra half a rotation, having to worry about who do I pick up in the pass game. Um, and you really want that too. You want to give them some easy pass pickups or pass game pickups early on to build Sam's confidence in them too as, as pass protectors. Cause you don't want Sam back there jittery. He might already be holding the ball a little bit longer. We've seen that Sam has a tendency when he feels like he has to make a play that he's going to hold that ball a little longer. Now with a, a, you know, a year wiser, a year older, a year more experience, a year more accolades, you hope that, you know, Sam might've worked some of that out, but you know, players are going to, when he feels like he's the best player on the field, he's going to do everything he can to try and force a play if he feels like he needs to. That's just going to be his nature. That's any that's any big time players, uh, gen, you know, general nature. That's their predisposition. So he's going to want to hold that ball and make a play, um, even if it's not there. So we need to make sure he's got that kind of time. And we don't we don't want pass protection schemes breaking down in front of him because of the running back. Um, or because of one of the offensive linemen having to hold a block too long so that Sam can try and force that play. We want everything to be smooth and clean. So giving those running backs early confidence in pass protection, giving them easy pickups in the beginning, have them feel confident in their pass protection abilities will also build the confidence of your quarterback and your offensive line because these guys aren't going to want to be getting tagged with sacks when it's not their fault, when it's on the running back. You know what I mean? So you want the, the offensive line to be confident in the running backs too. And pass protection forget the run game, forget how many yards they rush for, forget how many yards these running backs catch for. Fans should pay very close attention to how they pick up blitz packages and pass protection. As I can assure you that at home, uh, at Lane Stadium, nationally televised game, Carolina being a top 10 team, they are going to, they're going to blitz the ever living hell out of Sam Howell on that offensive line to try and get him uncomfortable. It's not because they don't think they can beat it. It's not because they think they're better than us up front. <clears throat> they're probably doing it because they feel like they're not as good as us up they're not as good as us up front. <clears throat> Sorry. Got some allergies. Um, you need a second, get some water. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> um, they're, they're not, they're not going to be pressuring Sam in that offensive line because they feel like they're better than us up front. They're probably doing it because they feel like they're not as good as us up front. And in order to get pressure on Sam in order to make him uncomfortable, they got to get somebody home typically through a blitz. They're also going to do it to test those running backs. So giving them early confidence will be, will be big for the entire offensive unit, not just the running backs themselves. Yeah, that's definitely one thing I would say for fans to keep a close eye on because by all accounts, I believe this Jason Staples said that the weakest part of Ty Chandler's game coming over from Tennessee was his pass pro. And then your number two running back, Caleb Hood, is somewhat new to the position um, coming over as a true freshman running back um, where he played, I'm pretty sure he played more quarterback in high school. So it's like, and you got, you guys can remember like if for a high school running back going to college pass pro is probably one of the last things you're going to feel really comfortable about. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do at protecting Sam Howe, but a running back like Ty Chandler coming over from the sec, he does have a ton of big game experience to where, you would hope that him being the feature running back and him being the lead guy on Friday, he wouldn't be too afraid of the moment. And I think when you have a team that brings as much talent back as Carolina, you need as many people who aren't afraid of the moment and won't be afraid of playing on a big stage in Lane Stadium. But EJ, everybody assumes that the defense is going to take a noticeable step forward this year. It's year three in the same system under Jay Bateman. You have a lot of talent returning. Every starter back from that Orange Bowl, 
a lot of young guys ready to play more snaps. In your opinion, what would you say are realistic expectations for the defense this year? I do think there will be some some notice noticeable and marked improvement on the defense. I mean, I, as we were just talking about, the depth on the defensive line is going to change the way that Coach Bateman is able to deliver some of those calls. How we're going to be able to pressure on some some earlier downs and pressure on and pressure on downs and do some type of pressures that we haven't shown on film. I mean, I mean, you hear the talk coming out of training camp. It still sounds like Coach Bateman isn't like isn't even fifty percent into his playbook or his potential schemes, and that's exciting. So, I mean. I mean, he's even said itself, like, this is not a defense that's going to come out and shock the world and be a top five in the in the nation defense. Do we have the potential to do that? And on paper, with, with the size that we have up front, the speed and experience we have at linebacker and the experience and depth that we have in the secondary, yeah, you would think that that we're going to be a great defense. I do think we're going to be a good defense. I'm not down on our defense, but I do want to keep those expectations reasonable. I mean, this, this still are, these still are young players. There still are going to be the, the learning curves and the kind of bumps and, and bruises that you're going to have when you start any season, especially against a top tier ACC opponent in one of the toughest stadiums to play in, in the country. So I just don't want the fans to go out and, and expect us to go out and shut Virginia tech down. Do I think that we're going to find ourselves more competitive in some games? And do I think by uh, maybe game five, six, seven. Are we going to start to become that defense that we think we can be where we're shutting some people down, where we're getting pressure without sitting in the house and where we aren't giving up those big plays? Yeah, I definitely think this is going to look more like the, a Mac Brown defense, a, a Bateman defense. But I don't – I mean – and then on the other hand, with that was me being the realist, with me being the optimist, I mean, th just think about the depth that we have up front. I do think that we're going to be able to stop the run. I think Ravel Havoc is going to have a, a top-tier type of season. I think we're going to be talking about him as an All-American, and I think that some of those guys that we have, like Kendrick Brinkley-Jones and some of those other freshmen that we have coming back, I think those guys are going to be going to be looked at as some on some freshman All-American list. So, and I actually had a chance to meet uh, Miles Murphy's high school coach. And he had nothing but but great things to say about the kid. And I learned some things about his character that I didn't know before that leads me to believe that now that he has his time in the spotlight, he's going to step up. I mean, the days of Aaron Crawford and, and Jason Strobridge playing, playing 100 snaps a game are over. I think these guys are going to go out there and they're going to have fresh legs. And, and Mike can attest to that. Like, there was a difference in our defensive line in 07 and 08 going to 09 where we had, I mean, basically, if you think about it, almost our, our whole two deep almost got drafted or at least had the opportunity to play in the NFL. I mean, and we kept guys fresh. At the end of the season, we weren't banged up and bruised up to the point where, hey, we can get back into the weight room. We can start training. We can get ready again. And I think that's sort of, those are some of the things you're going to see. You're going to see people recognizing plays, uh, people playing faster. So I think by the middle of the season, we will be one of the top defenses, I think, in the ACC. But I don't think we – people should expect us to come out guns blazing until we can really, really are comfortable in who we are and kind of get some of those rotations down. Back. Well, early in the year too, you know, depth matters and this matters on the offensive line too, but it matters, you know, on defense, especially particularly the defensive line. Um, and with these spread offenses and the way that's going now, it's a lot more pass rush first, second game of the year. One thing we've kind of glossed over here is that, you know, rotation matters for having fresh legs on a defensive line against an offensive line in the fourth quarter, you know, week seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Oh, yeah. Okay. That matters. Cause by third quarter, fourth quarter, like we're tired offensive line, like we're tired. All mm -hmm. right. And if we've got fresh legs across from us, the reason why our defensive line, when you and I played was, it was so successful through that rotation was because you'd wear an offensive line out. Mm -hmm. You just get tired toward, you know, by the end of the game. Um, 
if you're playing the same guy, if you're lining up as an offensive lineman against the same guys the entire game, you get into a rhythm, okay? And that fatigue doesn't really – it's mutual. The fatigue's mm-hmm. mutual. So, you know, there's really no advantage from <clears> – excuse me, there's really no advantage um, – from a, from a conditioning standpoint or from a rotation standpoint, if you're playing the same guys on both sides of the ball the entire game. First game and second game of the year, though, is an entirely different animal from a conditioning standpoint. Okay, you're tired halfway through the first quarter because when you go out there, and this is going to be the same for Virginia Tech, all right, but when you go out there, you are exhausted by the second drive because your adrenaline's so high in pregame, your adrenaline's so high when you first get out there, you got your nerves, all of that takes stuff out of you. I mean, at a physiological level, like down – like at an actual chemical level in your body, that stuff drains you, okay? Mm-hmm. But also you're drained mentally, you're drained emotionally. That, that takes a toll on you. And you're not usually in game shape, what we call game shape, until end of the second game, maybe start of week three is when you really realize like, okay, I'm in my season, my in-season conditioning is now here. Those first two games, you know, you're less tired in game two than you are in game one, but game one is a grind. Mm-hmm. And usually you have sort of a warm-up game. You're playing a Citadel or a James Madison, but we're not doing that now. Like you said, we're playing a top-tier ACC opponent. Now they're going to have to deal with the same fatigue we are. They have to deal with the same heat, the same cramping, the same all of that that we're going to have to deal with. But if you've got a healthy rotation of guys, this is where our advantage can come in. If you've got a healthy rotation of guys on the defensive line and the offensive line, if we get guys that are going down with cramps and whatnot, okay, if you keep guys, if you keep their legs fresh, well – as long if your trenches are if you're winning in the trenches, we know this, this is the old adage. If you're winning in the trenches, you're probably going to win the game. Uh-huh. And if we stay fresh, that's going to be a key to that, particularly with respect to game one, game two of the season. Yeah, and Carolina has a ton of bodies right now along that defensive line. Miles Murphy, Rave Hassick, the Fox brothers, Des Evans. Um just, just a ton of guys. Javari Ritzy, the mm-hmm. coming back. For, I mean, uh, Javari Ritzy looking to make an impact in this year for Carolina. But EJ, what would you say you're looking for week one to try and gauge to see if this defense is serious and they are ready to kind of get into that top half of the conference, that fringe national conversation? I would say lack of, of big plays. I think if we can avoid giving up big plays, the, the 20, 20 plus sharp plays, I think that'll be a sign that we're really we're really coming to our own as a defense. I mean, of course, Virginia Tech's going to throw some things at us that we haven't seen before and some things that, that aren't on film for those guys to chase. But I think um, us doing that, us finishing and, and playing hard. I mean, the, those are the, the playing hard the and I guess us kind of becoming a good tackling team, uh, which is still a surprise. I almost forget that sometimes. I'm so used to talking about how bad we are but and I, I think if we see that good tackling and everything that we have been seeing the team constantly improve on if we see those things plus that added extra notch of cutting down on some of those big plays that we gave away gave up last year I think that's going to be a big thing another thing is, is really pass rush I mean I think that we can even improve on what we did last year and get even more pressure without sending the house without with having some of our linebackers in coverage and letting them use their athleticism uh, to actually cover guys where our, our, our big guys up front go and handle the pass for exam I, I think that's really the next evolution for us so we can really start using some of that experience in the secondary to disguise some of those coverages and really start com- uh, confusing opposing offenses. So I think that's really the next progression uh, for our defense. Yeah, you mentioned the better tackling and somebody like Aquarius Conley flying downhill and tackling people at like a 97 percentage rate really, really helps out that <laughs> the missed tackle number. So he, he was one of my favorite players to watch last year defensively with 
the physicality he kind of brought, but we've kind of, we've kind of mentioned it all around with lane stadium. It's going to be interesting to see how this team reacts to that kind of environment. You know, Frank Beamer isn't leading this team through the tunnel anymore, but their fans still bring it. It's still a very tough place to play. Mike, along the offensive line, how do you handle communication or a lack thereof if you are in a hostile environment and the fans really start getting into it where you really can't hear out there? Well, snap counts and cadences are a little different now than when I played, but the way that you typically handle it in these, you know, we'll call it the clap cadence. Okay, The, the way you're going to have to handle this is just going to have to have a rhythm. And we might end up snapping the ball at the same pace every play until we start breaking down the crowd a little bit. You know, we score some points and the crowd gets a little quiet. Then you can go back to what you usually do. But early in that game, we might have to be going, you know, silent snap. And what that looks like is your tackles are just kind of looking down. If we're not going to do it on the same rhythm every play where it's like you see the center's head go down, come up, 1,000, 1,002, we snap. If you're not going to do that, because, you know, I mean, you don't want to do that because you don't want to tip the defensive line off. You don't want to give them you know, the advantage because guys like EJ who are smart are going to time that up real fast um, and start taking advantage of it. If you're not going to do that, I mean, really it's your tackles are just kind of looking through their peripheral vision. They're looking at the ball and they're waiting for it to snap and they're trying to get back in their pass sets. Now we've got enough experience there at the tackle spot that that shouldn't be a problem, but there is always going to be a lag. You're always going to be a half a kick behind when you do it that way. So the rest of your technique's got to be good. Your hips got to be good. Your hands got to be good. Your punch has to be good. You got to have your eyes up. That's, I mean, the way you handle it is just, I mean, you strap yourself in and, and hope nothing goes sideways. I mean, there's really no, I don't have any real wisdom other than, you know, you're basically winging it in a, in a you know, coaches want to talk about there's a science behind you know, uh, silent snaps and, you know, we need to do that. And we practice it, we drill it, but really it's, I mean, it's, it's you paying extremely close attention and timing up that snap yourself as an offensive player better than that defensive player is about to time it up because you don't really know when that ball is going to get snapped most of the time either. So, you know, I wish I had better wisdom for you other than, you know, uh, tighten your belt up, keep your pants on, and, you know, hope they don't <laughs> – hope that defensive end doesn't beat you to the edge. Uh, but there's really – I mean, that, that's it. Luckily, we're tall. We're tall at the tackle spot. we got long arms. We can, you know, hopefully move guys around the pocket. And, and the other way you handle it is, you know, a lot of three-step drop, a lot of quick, you know, quick slants, that sort of thing, you know, bubble screens, stuff that hits real quick, real fast, gets the ball out of Sam Howell's hands, and it really minimizes the opportunity for, for big hits, big sacks, that sort of thing. So, you know, the, the, the play calling can help with that too. But from an offensive line standpoint – uh, you know, silent snap is a nightmare. So hopefully we can jump out quick, you know, get a score or two on the board and the crowd will calm down. EJ, I guess it's a, a bit different on defense because on the road, the crowd wants to be more silent um, when their offense has the ball. But when the crowd is getting into it and like, say the offense picks up a couple big plays and it starts to get loud in there, how does the crowd noise kind of affect you guys on defense? Uh, I'll say um, it, it really depends on the experience of the of the defense and really the linebacker. So I don't think that's really going to be an issue for us. But our, our, our kind of objective is to keep the stadium as quiet as possible uh, when we're out there. We don't want the crowd to get in it at all. We don't – I mean, we just want it to be silent out there unless they're booing the offense because they're doing so bad. But, I mean, it, it is – like you say, it's a different ball game for us. I mean, where, where we really have the disadvantage, I guess, for crowd noise is really at home because our, 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 our crowd's trying to be as loud as they can to kind 
kind of disrupt the offense. So that's that's always the kind of thing I think that takes away from the home field advantage when you're home playing on defense, especially if you're playing a playing an offense that goes at a fast pace or they they really want to crank the tempo up or on a two minute drill at home. I mean, some of those things can be kind of counterproductive. But I mean, on the road in Lane Stadium, um, I'm looking forward to really quiet uh, defensive drives, <laughs> unless it's from the UNC contingent that shows up in Lane Stadium. One thing that's been a theme for this training camp with the players was players talking about finding their confidence and that belief in yourself as guys that have been in the locker room before, you know, how tough it can get mentally as a player. How big is that to hear from players like Anton green or guys like Josh downs that they do feel like they're in the right mindset because I don't think that's something that fans really account for. But Mike, starting with you, like how, how big is that to hear that a player does have that renewed confidence in themselves when you know how easy it is in that locker room to get down on yourself or start to question yourself with how many other talented players there are in that locker room around you? Well, I mean, a guy who feels confident when he's surrounded by equal or superior talent is a guy that's going to be productive. And he's going to go out there and he's going to compete and he's going to play well. So, I mean, it, it gives me confidence that what, what concerns me in a bigger picture thing, it's not so much a player by player thing. It's, you know, we're, we're coming in this game, number 10, you know, most national polls, number nine coaches bowl. Look, man, we were number five at Florida state. We laid an egg last year. I mean, that, this, and for whatever reason, when I played since we played, you know, high national rankings have not been our friend. Um, top 25 rankings have not been our friend. Uh, I, I, I have apprehension going into Lane Stadium being, as, being ranked as high as we were. I'd feel more comfortable if we were like number 15. But the fact that we're number 10 and we're going in, it's like the, the only place to go from here, you, you're slight movement up. But with Virginia Tech being – Tech's unranked, right? Yeah. Yeah, Tech coming in unranked. Um, it's, the roles are reversed here. With Tech coming in unranked, there's, there's really only downside to this. There's only downside to a loss here. And with it being the first game on the road, all the things we talked about, particularly the conditioning and the fatigue is really my biggest concern. You know, the heat and the conditioning and the fatigue, you know, getting the best of us um, along with, you know, maybe some first game jitters and our heads might be a little inflated because of the ranking. Like, all oh, that's great. Like, I feel confident that with all the guys around me, no matter how good, you know, all the, the, the depth behind me is very good and they're pushing me every day. But, you know, this is my spot. and I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to contribute and I'm going to play and I'm the starter. I'm going to be productive. That's all great. I, I appreciate all that from a personal standpoint. But we're lying if we think that 20, 21, 22-year-old kids who have a top 10 ranking going into Virginia Tech, a team that they played very well against in the past, Okay, that is a rivalry game, but now you feel like you have the upper hand. There is going to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of unearned arrogance that comes along with that. And the 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 question is going to be what I'm going to be most interested in seeing is does that affect us early in the game? I'm not concerned about late in the game because like just like the Florida State game last year, we had an opportunity to win it because we are just that talented and our schemes work that well. And when we when we really put our heads down and we do what we need to do and we play assignment football. We can beat anybody. We can play with anybody. But are we going to have another egg laid like we did against Florida State last year, the first half, and then have to play from behind, which with this, with an inexperienced receiving core and an inexperienced running back group, at least in terms of experience within the system for some of those guys, that gives me a little pause. It gives me a little bit more apprehension than I would have had last year. If you just, if you just told me that scenario at Florida State was going to play out, I would have felt confident with a guy like Daz Newsom and De'Ami Brown on the outside with – 
with with Michael Carter and Javante back there in the backfield, I would have I would have told you now we'll be okay in the second half. Sort of, and really the way it played out is how I would have predicted that game would have played mm-hmm. out. Different animal this year with, with different personnel, so it gives me a little apprehension. I want to, I would hope that we'd get out to a to a fast start and then avoid the trappings that come with that and start you know reading your own press clippings at that point. We're up 14 after the first quarter at, at Virginia Tech, first game of the year. We're number 10 in the country. No one can touch us. Next thing you know, you're down 30 to 14, and you don't know what happened. Like, we need to, we need to avoid the trappings that come with this high ranking. That's my biggest heartburn moment that, that, that I'm having going into this game right now. But I still think, you know, this, this ends in a win for exactly the reason you pointed out, that the position players we have on an individual level, despite all the talent that's on this roster, are confident for the most part, almost to a man. That if they're if they're the one that's starting, or if they're in that rotation, that they're there for a reason, and they'll be productive. EJ, everybody sees the uh, the dominant player that you kind of developed into at Carolina, into this uh, the, into this spot where you played yourself into the NFL. But were were there ever moments early on where you kind of had doubts in yourself, like some of these guys, like like a Josh Downs had, where he was looking at guys in front of him like Daz Newsom, like, do I really belong here? So did you have any of those moments and how did you kind of work through them? Well, it's funny that this came up because this is actually kind of the story of my Carolina career. Man, Mike knows the story very well. So when I got to Carolina, I was about 6'2", 230. So I was kind of positionless. So at first I was a linebacker. So for during summer school, I was a linebacker. During uh, the season, uh, they wanted me to play tight end. So but they didn't want me to go down on the scout team. So instead of going on the scout team, I played defensive end on the tight ends, the position I was supposed to be playing. Well, they needed help at fullback. So the spring I played fullback. One of our coaches told me I was the worst fullback in the ACC history and that he'd help me transfer. So it was at that time that I, I moved to defensive end. So have there been times in Carolina where I felt like I shouldn't have been there? Yeah. I mean, every moment until Coach Browning sat down with me after spring ball and said, hey, come play defensive line. So, I mean, I definitely understand probably better than anybody the mental aspect of, of feeling confident. But the good thing about that is that I went into a group of, of players who are also confident in, in, in themselves. And I give guys like Ken Swan Bomber, Holly Taylor, and especially Malik Brown, a lot of credit for how they kind of took me under their wing. And that's what, I, what I'll say about the guys saying that they're confident. I, I want to speak more to the intangibles of that. And um, if you have guys that are confident, you have guys that aren't going to be selfish. That's part of championship football. You hear people say that's championship football. It's not all about going out winning, executing, or guys not getting in trouble. It's about the whole attitude of the team. A guy who's confident is going to help that guy and correct him and not try to sabotage him or see him doing bad things or or like like a guy who knows a, if he sees a guy who's starting in front of him slacking off maybe in a workout or something like that, he's not going to do that. He's going to push him because he's going to say, I want you at your best when I take your position. So it, it, it's it's creating a lot of healthy competition. It's creating a lot of guys supporting each other. And it's creating a lot of guys who aren't going to make decisions on or off the field based in their own best interest because they know that they need to put them best their best selves out there because they know what they're capable of. So um, I, I'm glad to hear the guys are confident, glad to hear the guys feel like they can fit in because, I mean, from everything that I've seen and everything I've heard, there's a, there's almost battles at every position, I think, except for the offensive line and, and quarterback, really. And, and that, that's good to see. I mean, we, we all know that the coach has their own too deep in their head. It's just not on paper yet. But just to be able to have open competition and you see that it's legitimate, I mean, that's why these guys are so confident. It's a sign of a good coaching staff and a sign of players who really bought in. Close out the podcast, we'll do who will be – 
our surprise stars for both the offense and defense this year. Mike, we could start with you. Who would you say would be your surprise star along the offense? I think it's going to be Josh Downs. I think he's going to come in and he's going to meet the expectations that he had coming out of high school. Um, some of the yips that he had, um, some drop passes, things like that. I think he's going to clean that stuff up and he's going to be, he's going to become Sam's go-to receiver. And that's who I think the, I think that's the, that was the plan for him coming out of high school. And I think that's what he's going to turn into here. I think he's going to, I think he's going to meet the hype. Another one too, to watch out for too, is uh, uh, Coffrey Brown, Diami, or Diami's little brother. Um, that kid has all the talent in the world. He just got to get it right mentally. He just got to, he's got to get his off the field stuff together um, and make sure that stuff doesn't bleed onto the field and affect his performance on the field. And as long as he keeps everything straight too, he is a talented over the top sort of, you know, open up the back end of the defense sort of receiver. Um, and I, I think, I think with those two guys, if they're both on and they're both playing well, I think our offense is going to look pretty good. I think you, there won't be a ton of drop off. You're always going to miss a guy like, like Daz Newsom. You're always going to miss the Ami Brown. Um, but I think those guys will be nice uh, replacement pieces for them. So on the offense, I think, I think, I think watch out for, for those, those in the order in which I mentioned them one and two to really be uh, big contributors and potential breakouts. Yeah. There's a ton of yards to replace when you're losing four guys on offense to the NFL, but by all accounts, from talking to people on the staff, everybody is kind of expecting Josh Downs to be a player who can go well over a thousand yards for this offense. And when you think about Phil Longo's offense, it puts up numbers and it puts people in the NFL. You look at Ole Miss, he put uh, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, uh, Elijah Moore, Carolina, Daz Newsome, Deami Brown. And Carolina hasn't been a school that has these wide receivers where you know, you're talking about going over a thousand yards so easily and you look at it and I think two of the five guys have been the past two years with Diami and um, Daz Newsome. And then I know Ryan Switzer is one of them, but you'd have to find like, you'd have to go back to like Hakeem before the last guy who's put up over a thousand yards. So it is kind of crazy to hear that the staff is so high on a guy like Josh Downs. And I think he also does bring a ton of versatility where you could put him at, in the backfield. You could put him in motion. You can have him beat you over the top. And he does have a, a polished enough route tree where he can beat you with a lot of yards after the catch. And you just want to try to find him how you could get him the ball as much as possible. And it can never really feels like you can get him a guy like him, the ball enough, but EJ, who would you say would be your breakout star on the defense? I guess the only guy you really can't pick is maybe maybe like a Taman Fox who has seven who had seven <laughs> sacks last year, or a guy like Jeremiah Gemmel, who I think everybody kind of knows who he is at this point. Yes, yeah, so I've excluded those. Uh, of course, Jeremiah, I've excluded uh, Rava Hasek, but I've excluded um, Storm Duck and Tony Grimes. But I really think the breakout player is going to be Eugene Asante. I mean, just watching how he played in the Orange Bowl, I mean, this kid has a knack. I mean, you kind of saw it in flashes in certain games during the season, but to see him come in and play as well as he did, with I mean, he has all the intangibles, the size, the speed, the physicality. I really think he's fast. In, yeah, yeah, he's, he, he's, he's amazingly a, fast. He's, he's, <laughs> 
he's he's fast kid alive. <laughs> that boy fast. No, so <laughs> so but but no, honestly, I think he's gonna come in really, and not only I think he's gonna fill that void where um the production gap um that Chaz is leaving, um, but I also think he's gonna uh, fill in that leadership gap. He just seems like he has that type of energy that no matter how how long he's played, how many snaps he's taken, yes, I'm in a starting position now. Yes, I'm in his leadership position. So I'm gonna take this very seriously. I mean, honestly, this is one of those years where there really can be a lot of breakout stars. I mean, you have a lot of new starters. You have guys like Miles Murphy, who we've mentioned. We have some of these freshman linebackers like Ra-Ra Dilworth. And then, I mean, there are so many guys that could come out of surprises. But I really think I'm, I think Eugene Nassant is going to be the guy. I think that a lot of eyes are going to be watching him and saying, hey, it's your time to shine. And I think you will. Yeah, I think in one of the videos I did earlier uh, leading up to uh, week one, I said that I thought Eugene Asante would lead this team in tackles with how well he runs sideline to sideline, how well he blows up gaps. And I don't, I don't think that's, that's that crazy because you look in the orange bowl and he was a leading tackler. You look at the orange bowl and Carolina had a lot more hats to the ball. Like maybe they, they wore down at the end and couldn't really finish plays off. But I think with the Jay Bateman defense, you're seeing, a higher effort level and you could judge that effort level with how many hats are to the ball. And a guy like Eugene Asante is always going to find himself around the ball with how well he can run. But EJ, one of the questions that's been on the message board, I have to get your quick take on it. It's, it's been maybe the number one debated topic. It's who's going to have more sacks, Des Evans or Tamon Fox. I don't know why so many people want want like a definitive answer when you're, you're looking at their snap counts are probably going to be equal. They have Taman might be a more polished pass rusher right now. Des Evans has the higher ceiling, but let's, let's get you to settle this debate right now, heading into week one. So we could put this conversation to rest before, before this Virginia tech game. Oh, my God. This is a tough question. I mean, Taman's been my guy since, I mean, he stepped on campus. And I mean, like you said, he is the more polished pass rusher. But I think they're both going to benefit from each other. And I do think they're, top, they're probably talking about it, too, in a healthy and competitive way. I mean, when I was in college, I used to joke with Rob Quinn. I mean, this is such an obvious joke, but joke with Rob Quinn. That <laughs> I was going to have more sacks than him by the end of the season. And maybe it didn't mean as much to him, but it kind of motivated me. But no, I honestly, I mean, you can see I'm trying to duck and dodge this question as much as I can. But no, I mean, honestly, I would, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Tamon simply because I mean, I mean, yeah, he has the higher ceiling. He's a, he's a, he's a big time recruit. He has all the intangibles athletically, but I just haven't seen it on film. And I mean, I've seen a lot of guys uh, be humbled. I mean, I've seen four stars come in and not do that well. And I've also seen two star unknown recruits come in who, who've been there for a while and kind of hold those guys off. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Taman. I may change my tune around the middle of the season actually, after I really see this guy play, but right now I'm going with Taman. That's, that's where I kind of settled with because Fox does have the production. I think like 13 and a half sacks the past two years. He has that double-digit sack potential, but UNC at Virginia Tech to kick off the season this Friday, 6 p.m. on ESPN. Guys, it's great to be back. Great to see your faces and looking forward to breaking down the season opener already. Definitely, man. Have a good one. See you guys. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. 
This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.